0: Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. The Book of Prayer, the Shaykh uh, Al Hajawi, may Allah we'll have mercy upon him. Last week we spoke about the conditions of wujub, Shurutul wujub. That meant that we were discussing those conditions that if they are found in a person, it means it's obligatory for the person to go and pray Jummah, it's wajib upon them. Today the author is going to talk about uh, the sihat which means that what makes the Jummah valid for the person and the Jummah act in of itself, what are the conditions and descriptions that need to be there for the Jummah itself to be valid that's what we're going to look at today with Allah's permission insha'Allah so the author he says shurut. it's imperative, it's conditional for it to be correct and valid certain conditions, shurut. so these are the conditions will make Jummah valid if they are fulfilled from them he says, "Laysa Minha Idnul Imam. He says, not from the conditions, and this is something a bit strange, but it comes clear as to why he said it in a moment. Laysa minha imam. It's not a condition for the Jummah to be valid, the permission of the Imam. And what he means by Imam here is the authority of the state, that the leader of the state, or the one that is deputised by the leader of the state, that this person's permission is not required. And the evidence for this is in uh, collected by Imam Malik, Imam Shafi'i and Ibn Mulaqan in Badr al Munir. He said it's authentic that Ali anhu, صلى بالناس Uthman طيب that Ali anhu, He was not the Caliph but Uthman was the Caliph. Uthman was the leader of the state. But Ali anhu, prayed in the place of Uthman when Uthman couldn't leave his house. house. Uthman was confined to his house so he didn't know that Ali was going to lead the Salatul Jum'ah but Ali led it anyway and this was with the Sahaba that many of the Sahaba, majority of them were present and none of them criticized or complained the action of Ali And even when Uthman later on found out he didn't criticize this action either of Ali So it shows that the permission of the leader is not required and also the ulama, they say because this is Fardul Ain this is an obligation which is on each individual like the five salawatah. and likewise in the five salawat, you don't have to seek the permission of the Amir to fulfill the five salawat. likewise here for Jummah the permission of the Amir is not sought however many of the scholars, not many of them, some of them they said that it's uh, good and it's recommended to have the permission of the leader of the state if there's going to be more than one Jummah in that state or in that land. Because more than one Jummah, if everybody starts to do their own Jummah in their own locality as and when they wish, that can obviously cause chaos. So it's better if there's going to be more than one Jummah that this be under the, under the directive of the leader of the state or the uh, Ministry of Awqaf, the Ministry of Islamic Affairs, etc. And the reason that the author, Hajjawi, may Allah have mercy upon him, the reason he mentioned this uh, statement that it's not uh, obligatory to have the permission of the Imam is because to differ with those who said it is obligatory and those are the Hanafi scholars may Allah have mercy upon them and some of the Hanbali scholars okay, they have it as a condition to have Juma's v- being valid that the permission of the Imam must be there oh, sorry. So he says أحدها الوقت the first of the conditions or one of the conditions of siha of the Jummah to be correct and valid is that the Waqt, Al Waqt. And if you notice, when we studied the times of the Salah, we said Dukhul Al Waqt, the entering of the time. And here with regards to Jummah, he just says Al Waqt. The Ulama, they mentioned that there's a Nukta, there's a reason, a point as to why he said this. And he didn't say Dukhul Al Waqt. So the al-Waqt like the other prayers, the five salawat means that the prayer, though it cannot be done before the time, it can be done due to an excuse outside of the time, meaning that it can be made up or it can be joined outside of the time of the prayer. However, Jummah has only one time. So it cannot be done before that time of Jummah, nor can Jummah be made up if Jummah is missed outside of that time. That's why they say the, the scholars of Fiqh who mention it in this way, al waqt and they don't say duhul al-Waqt. That is the reason why they mention that. The author he said, Eid. The first of the time, the beginning time of uh, Juma, Jummah is the beginning time of Salat al-Eid. So the same as when Eid time becomes in, comes in the, the time of Eid Salah. That is the same time that Jummah can be prayed according to the author and the majority of the Hanbuli scholars. So this is, what is the time of al Eid? The time of al Eid is 15 minutes or so after sunrise. Okay. الرمح, that the sun has risen due to the length of a spear above the horizon. To the length of a spear above the horizon and that's around 10 to 15 minutes. So this is the Mashhur, the famous opinion in the Madhab that the first, the beginning time of Jummah is that it starts at the beginning time of Salat al-Aid, and from the evidences they use is the Hadith in Sahih Muslim of Jabir radiAllahu anhu, who said, um, he said, كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يصلي الجمعة ثم نذهب إلى جمالنا فنريحها حين تزول الشمس. That the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم Jabir he said in Sahih Muslim the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم would pray Salat al-Jum'a, meaning that we would finish with the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم Salat al-Jum'a. And then we would go to our camels and we would uh, allow them to roam and to relax uh, before the time of Zawal had come in. Shams At the time of Zawal or just before it. So this shows that they would finish praying with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam the Salah and it would be before the time of Zawal, before the time of Dhuhr, uh, which means uh, that it was way before Dhuhr time. Ibn Qudamah al-Maqdasi, ta'ala, his opinion in the Madhab was that it's to be held in the sixth hour of the day, which is an hour or so before Zawal, okay, the sixth hour of the day. So the day from the time of Fajr up until uh, the time of Dhuhr is divided into six parts. And the Jummah according to Ibn Qudamah, will be held in the sixth part of the day. And that is roughly, like we said, an hour or so before the Zawal time, before the time of Dhuhr. Imam al-Mardawi, ta'ala, he said that it starts after Zawal. His opinion was that it starts after Zawal. Sheikh Mutal al he mentions an important point, Hafidhullah, he says, though the Hanbali scholars, they said, the Jummah Salah should be before Zawal, meaning that it's first time, it's beginning time, is at the time when the Eid Salah starts, and it's preferred to be before the time of Zawal. Uh, he said, though they say that it's preferred to pray before Zawal, they say, many of them that it's afdal to pray after zawal. It's afdal to pray after zawal. It's better to pray after zawal, خروج min al Because this takes the this takes one out of the difference of opinion that is there with the other scholars. So it could be that in the community you have many people that hold a variety of different opinions, but they all tend to agree on the fact that if you pray Jummah after zawal, then the Jummah there is valid. So though the humble scholars they say it's preferred to pray before the Zawal, if you were to pray after zawal that would be better khurujan min al-khilaf because it takes one out of the difference of opinions and also the scholars they mentioned that if the adhan for juma is given before the time of zawal this would cause tashwish this would cause confusion for the women in the houses because maybe the women in the houses when they had the adhan they think this is the adhan of salat al-dhuhr okay and it's not it's the adhan for juma and then they would go ahead and pray salat al-dhuhr so, due to these reasons mentioned, uh, many of the Hanbali scholars, they said it's better, it's preferred to pray Jummah uh, at the time of Zawal, not before it, okay. The author, he says, The last time of the Jummah, the end time of, of Jummah is the end time of Salatul Dhuhr. Okay, so Jummah ends when Salatul Dhuhr ends, when the timing of Dhuhr ends, that is when the time of Salatul jummah has now come to an end. So the question to yourselves, pertaining to definition with shadows, as we discussed in the uh, book of Timings of Salah, what is the end time of Salatul Jummah pertaining to the shadows? Question to yourselves. So hey, may Allah increase you in good. <laughs> so after the fate of Zawal, after the beginning shadow, when the shadow increases to the same length of the object, then that is the time that Jum'a. Uh, that Salatul Dhuhr comes to an end and also Jummah comes to an end and this is agreed upon by all of the Madhahib, all the four madhabs. The author, he says فَإِنْ That the Jummah, if its time goes and the, the people that have gathered for Juma, they didn't manage to get the Takbiratul ihram Okay, then they would have to pray Dhuhr. So the people have gathered, okay, and they want to pray Jummah. But they didn't realize that they're very late. So by the time they made the Takbiratul Ihram, now the time for Jummah and Dhuhr has finished. So for the, for the time for Jummah has finished, okay? So now these people, what they have to do, they have to pray Dhuhr, okay? Because the time for Jummah has finished. So what he's saying the author that if the time for the Jumu'ah has finished before they make the al-Ihram then they have to go ahead and pray Dhuhr. However if they were able to catch the Takbiratul al-Ihram within the time and after they've made the Takbiratul al-Ihram the time has elapsed they can go ahead and they can pray Jumu'ah, because according to the Madhab the time for a prayer is caught if you manage to catch the Takbiratul al-Ihram uh, in that time okay. So as long as you got the takbirat al-ihram before the time of the prayer elapses, then you are considered according to the madhab as having caught that particular salah with regards to its timing. Okay, with regards to the timing. Ibn Taymiyyah, as a second opinion in the madhab, he said this is not the case. It's only the case if you catch a full raka'ah, if you catch a full raku'ah with the sujoods of that unit, of that raka'ah, in the timing of the salah before the time elapses. That is the only time you will catch the uh, salah. However, the author and the majority in the Madhab, they say as long as you get the Takbirat al-Ihram before the time elapses, then you would pray it as Jummah. Otherwise, if you missed it uh, in the time, you would have to pray it as Dhuhr. You will have to pray it as Dhuhr. <laughs> no. The author, he says, the second condition for the validity of the Jummah is Hudur Min Ahli is that 40 people have to attend the Jummah and the Khutbah not just the Jummah Salah also the Khutbah 40 people have to attend it these acts of worship in order for it to be valid okay and not just any 40 people rather as we discussed in the previous lesson they must be from the 40 people who the conditions of wujub fall upon them so they cannot be travelers they cannot be women they cannot be the slaves for example so if you had 40 people gathered and they were travellers or they were slaves and they were women they wouldn't be considered as being the number required for Jummah to be obligatory Okay, for Jummah to be correct so for Jummah to be correct it has to be 40 from Ahlul Wujubiha from the people that we discussed in the previous lesson uh, for whom Jummah would be obligatory upon them Okay, this is for the khutbah and the Salah from the evidences of this is what is narrated by Abu Dawood, Ibn Majah, Ibn Hibban Ibn Khuzaymah and Shaykh Al-Albani rahim said it's authentic that Sa'ad, Sa'ad ibn Zarara he was awlu man jama'a he was the first of the people that gathered the people together for Jummah in Medina before the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam got there they used to pray Jummah in the place of Bani Bayadah and the narrator of the Hadith, Ka'bil Malik I believe it was, the narrator of the Hadith they said at that time there were 40 people present, okay 40 people had attended the Salatul Jummah. So this is one of the evidences wherein they say that 40 people upon whom it's obligatory have to be there for the Salatul Jummah to be valid. Ibn Taymiyyah as a second opinion in the Madhab, he holds that it's only three. Okay, a huge discrepancy between 40 and three. So he says, according to him, that it's only three. And the reason that he gives behind that, he says that the least of jama'ah, Okay, because إِذَا نُودِيَ إِلَّىٰ ذِكْرِ الله. If the call to Jummah is made, فَسْعَو and فَسْعَو the verb, the command is given in a plural sense and Ibn Taymiyyah says that the least of plural is two okay, so that the least of the plural is two so yeah. as long as two people uh, from whom it's wajib upon are there then Jummah can be established and the third has to be the Imam of course okay First, Then go forth to the Dhikr of Allah, the one who will do the Dhikr of Allah, the Khutbah, is the Imam. So two uh, who would listen and two, uh, and then the Imam who's going to be there as the third to yani, uh, do the Khutbah and to lead the prayer. So that was the opinion of Ibn Taymiyyah. And as we said, the Madhab's opinion is that 40 people min ahli 40 people whom it's obligatory to pray Jummah, they have to be there. The third conditions for its validity, the author, he says أَن يَكُونُ بِقَرْيَةٍ مُسْتَوْطِنِينَ The third of these conditions for the Jummah to be valid is that these people, okay, they have to be mustawtinin and they have to be in a قَرْيَة So the first thing, the qariya, the word قَرْيَة, normally it's understood in the Arabic language to mean village but here the intention is not to use it as its meaning of village rather it means a land whether the land is small or the land is large so the ulama they say for example in Suta Shura Allah says wa man that you warn the the people of Umul al and Umul Al-Qura as we know is Mecca, and Mecca is much larger than a village okay and also of course the surrounding areas uh, mentioned in the ayah so they say village here Al-Qura or Qarya doesn't uh, necessitate its uh, linguistic meaning. Rather it means a land, whether it's a large land or a small land. So the people of this land they have to be mustawtineen as we took in the previous lesson, that from the conditions of wujub, from the conditions of obligation upon the people is that they are mustawtin And mustawtin is that they are residents of that land, that is their land that they live in. They are not musafirin. they're not travelers who can shorten the prayer, nor are they مقيمين. So muqimin is those people who live in a land like in مؤقتن, for, a, for a limited time period it could be a few months, it could be a few days, it could be a few years so no, it's not their land They either they're working for a short period of time or studying or something of that nature but the land is not the, theirs they're, they're not nationals of that land okay so the word مُسْتَوْطِنِينَ that he mentions uh, excludes people like the traveller it excludes those who are مُقِيمِين those who are there for a temporary period of time and of course, it excludes those who are Bedouins, who never really stay in one place. They move around uh, from different parts of the year, from land to land. So that's the third condition, that the people must be in the qarya, they must be of that land, and they must be mustawtineen of that land, meaning that they must be residents of that land. طيب. The author, he says, سحراء, That the Salatul juma and the Khutbah, it's permissible to have outside of the masjid. It doesn't have to be inside of the bunyan, inside of a building structure. It can be out in the Sahara, it can be out in the desert, as long as the, as long as the place that they are praying is close to the land. And some of the ulama, they say it has to be affiliated to the land. Like for example, we have Musalla of Eid. Okay, we have the outdoor praying of salat al Eid. So the outdoor praying of salat al Eid is normally affiliated to a particular area. Is normally affiliated to a particular land. So as long as it's like that and it's not too far then the people they can go outside and they can pray the Salatul Jummah uh, outside. And Sheikh uh, Mutlaq Jasr, uh, Hafiz Allah, he said it shouldn't be further than the Farsakh and as we mentioned Farsakh is around three miles. And again the proof of this they get from the same hadith I mentioned previously the hadith in Abu Dawood, Ibn Majah, Ibn Habban, and others where um, uh, Sa'd Ibn Zarara he was Awalla Mal jamaa He was the first person in Medina that brought the people together and prayed Jummah with them. al Bani They prayed in the place known as Harra Bani bayada And Imam al-Khattabi in um, Imam al he said in Wa'al Sunan that this was around a mile or so outside of Medina. So they're saying that it shouldn't be further than that because that's where the companions, رضي الله Anhum, did it. They didn't do it too far. As long as it's close to the the built-up area of the land then it's permissible for people to leave the built up area of the land, the buildings and to go out into the open and to pray Jummah in the open. The author he says now فَإِنَّقَصُوا قَبْلَ إِتْمَامِهَا dhuhran. ذُهْرًا قَبْلَ إِتْمَامِهَا If the added, if the required number which is 40 decreases قَبْلَ إِتْمَامِهَا before the Jummah Salah or the khutbah is finished إِسْتَعْنَفُوا ذُهْرًا then they would have to repeat the salah as Dhuhr rather than as juma. So you can imagine a scenario, the Ulama explained if there's 40 people, the Imam he sees 40 people so he goes ahead and he starts the Khutbah or he starts the Salatul juma and then he notices that one of the people has left uh, because he's broken his wudu or something of that nature. So in this situation the Imam he has to now complete the juma as a nafil, but then pray Dhuhr after that because the condition and we know that one of the descriptions of a condition a shart is that the shart has to be there continual throughout the act of worship so here the shart the condition of having 40 people it had khalal okay it had um, it was broken during the act of worship so if the condition is broken during the act of worship it means the act of worship is not going to be valid so therefore if the Imam he sees that somebody has left from amongst the 40 and they've now gone under 40 they've gone to 39 or whatever number, then the, uh, the salah has to be prayed as Dhuhr. Unless, the ulama say, unless there's enough time for Salatul to be re-prayed. So if the number went down to 39, but then that person comes back and there's time enough to pray Salatul Jummah again as, as 40, then they would go ahead and repeat the Salatul Jummah as 40. The point being that this condition of having 40 has to be there from the beginning to the end of the act of worship. And if it is broken in naqasu, if it goes lower than 40 uh, whilst the act of worship is taking place ista'nafu dhuhran then they would start the prayer again as dhuhr after completing the Jummah prayer as a nafal and that's what we understood the ulama. they said such as Shaykh Fahad al we understood from when he said ista'nafu dhuhran that they repeat it, they start it again as dhuhr we understand from this phrase of the Imam that they complete Salatul Jummah as nafal and then they start uh, Salatul Dhuhr after that. Another opinion in the Madhab chosen by Imam Ibn Qadama, Ta'ala, he said that rather if the congregation has prayed a whole Raka'ah with 40 people there and after having prayed a whole Rak'ah, Raka'ah it goes down below 40 then that doesn't affect the validity of the Salatul Jum'ah. So as long as 40 people prayed at least one Raka'ah according to Imam Ibn Qudama, then, then the Juma should be completed as Juma, and it doesn't have to be completed as Dhuhr if the number 40 decreases whilst the act of worship is taking place. The author, he says, And whoever catches with the Imam, meaning he's prayed with the Imam, a Rak'ah, okay, a complete Rak'ah, then he would complete it as Juma. So maybe he missed one raka, but he got one complete rakah with the Imam, then this person completes it as Jum'ah. However, if the person catches less than one raka with the Imam from Salatul Jum'a, then this person has to then complete Jum'a as Dhuhr, but with the condition ظهرا, If the person intends it as Dhuhr. So, just a quick recap of what the author is saying in this statement before we give further explanation because it can be a bit complicated. He says, Whoever catches a raka or more with the Imam from Jummah, then he completes the Salah as Salatul Jummah. However, if the person catches less than a raka from Salatul Jummah with the Imam, then he has to complete it as dhuhr. Okay, either kana nawa dhuhr, as long as he intended Salatul dhuhr for. Uh, the part that he caught with the Imam. So the Ulama, they explained that the musbuk and musbuk, as we know is the one that has missed a part of the Salah with the Imam. The musbuk in Jummah, he has two situations. The first of them is that he catches a raka with the Imam, okay? So this person, he's caught one raka with the Imam, he missed the Khutbah, it doesn't matter. As long as he caught one raqa with the Imam, it does matter in the sense that it's something which should never uh, optionally be done but if it happened out of his control that he missed the khutbah he got there late and he manages to catch a rak'a with the Imam then he can still complete the salah as Salatul Juma because in the hadith uh, collected by Imam al-Nasa'i Rahimullah Ta'ala and sheik al-Albani said it's authentic the Prophet said whoever has caught a rak'a from al Juma then he is considered as having caught the Jummah meaning he should go ahead and complete it as Jummah. So that's the situation of the Masbuk who catches one Rakah at least with the Imam. طيب. The second situation of the Masbuk is that this person catches less than a raqa. Okay so this person he has to now pray Dhuhr. He has to now pray Dhuhr instead of Jummah because he caught less than a Raka'at. However here there's two Qayden, there's qaidin, there's two Qiyud there's two restrictions or two matters that have to be present for him to be able to pray as Dhuhr, طيب. The first of them is that this person who caught less than a raka with the Imam he had to have intended what he's praying now to be Salatul Dhuhr, okay? And not Salatul Jum'ah. So if this person he catches the Imam after the Imam has risen from the second raka, okay? Then in this situation he has to intend what he's going to pray now is Salatul Jummah, okay? for him to, to be able to pray four raka'ah of uh, sorry, he has to intend now what he's going to pray is Salatul Dhuhr for him to be able to pray the four raka'ah of Dhuhr however, if he didn't do that he comes into the salah, he makes the Takbiratul Ihram and the Imam has come up from the second rakah and he intends that this is going to be jum'a, then for this person it's not going to be valid for him to pray this as now Salatul Dhuhr rather he has to uh, he has to finish the salah as a Nafal and then he has to start the Salah again as Dhuhr after the Taslim of the Imam, right? So, the way to get it correct, the way to get the Niya correct for the person to be able to pray what he's caught, which is less than a Raka' from the Jummah, to pray that now as Dhuhr, is that what he does when he comes to the Salah and he sees the Imam getting up uh, yani from the Ruku' Here he has to wait and see, is this now the Imam's first rakah or is it the second raka? So for example, if the Imam goes into the, into the tashahud, after making the ruku and going into the sujood, then he knows that well, actually he's missed uh, two raka. okay? He's missed uh, two raka, and there's no way he can get one rakah. But if he sees the Imam after doing his sujood, uh, he goes back into the second rakah, then he knows he can join the Imam at Salatul Jummah. So he goes ahead and joins the Imam as Salatul Jummah, and there's no problem here. He just makes up the second Raka'ah. But in the situation where it's complicated is where he finds, he has to wait to see if the Imam goes into, into Tashahud or not. If the Imam goes into Tashahud, it means that he has to join the Imam now in the Tashahud with the intention of Salatul Dhuhr. And then he carries on as Salatul Dhuhr from there. Okay? So he has to have the Niya of uh, joining the prayer, the Jummah prayer as Salatul Dhuhr if he's missed more than, if he's missed uh, two raqa with the Imam, meaning he's unable to pray at least one Raka' with the Imam from Salatul Jummah, then he has to join with the intention with the Niyah of Dhuhr as Taib Dhuhr. Shaykh Uthaymeen has a secondary opinion in the Madhab because he said that this is very complicated for the people to do, that most of the people, the Awam the general people, they won't know these rulings, so he said, what the people for the Awam, the general people, what they do is that they come and they join the salah as with the Niyah of Jummah. Okay, as normal. They join the salah normal uh, with the Niyah of Jummah. And when they've come to realise that hang about, we didn't catch a Raka' with the Imam. The Imam has now gone into the Shahud. When the Imam comes to make Taslim, the they make Taslim the also with the Imam. But at this point, sorry, once the Imam, imam has made Taslim, at this point they are allowed to change the intention from Jummah to Salatul Dhuhr. And he said, this is easier for the people because it's going from the Asl, which is Jummah, to the Badl, which is... uh, It's going from the Badl, which is uh, Dhuhr. Okay? No, he said, it's going from the Badl, from the replacement, which is Jummah, to the Asl, which is Dhuhr. And he said, herein there's no problem. Because uh, the of the original prayer was Dhuhr, and the replacement for it in this time is Salatul Juma. So the person he has the intention of praying Juma, he realizes by the time the Imams got to the Taslim that I hang about I didn't catch one rakaat with the Imam, so I have to now pray it as Dhuhr. So all he has to do at that point, when the Imam makes Taslim, he has to change the intention from Juma to Salatul Dhuhr. Because as Shaykh Usaymin taala he said that the Badal is Juma, that the replacement was Juma and the Asl is Dhuhr. So all he's doing, he's going from the burden to the Asl. And there's no problem in that whatsoever, according to Shaykh Huthaymin ta'ala, and he said also that both of these prayers are uh, Fardul Waqt, that both of these prayers in this time both of them are valid as uh, Fard prayers in this time. So there's no issue for the person to do it the easier way which is as I described that wh- whatever he catches from the Imam he intends to be Jummah and if he finds that actually he didn't pray uh, more than a raka'ah with the Imam, then when the Imam makes Taslim, he changes his intention from Juma to Dhuhr, and he goes ahead and he completes the Salah with four raka'at as Dhuhr, and that is what Shaykh Uthaymin said would be easier for the people, and Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala knows best. Now going back to what the Madhab says, the second condition, I said there's two uh, qaid, there's two restrictions that need to be present for the person to change from, uh, to, for the person to be able to pray to continue with what he caught with the Imam which was less than a Raka' to continue that as of Dhuhr we said that the first condition was that the intention of Dhuhr had to be there right for that part which he caught with the uh, Imam from Jummah which was less than a Raka' the second Qaid, the second restriction that has to be there is to ensure that what he's praying uh, from Dhuhr is in the time of Dhuhr because as we said many of the Hanbali scholars they said it's better to pray uh, before the Waqtul zawal Okay, they would they, they pray uh, Salatul Juma before Waktat Zawal, which means that it's before the time of uh, Dhuhr. Therefore, that if the person intends that he's going to pray, he's going to pray Dhuhr, meaning that he's missed more than um, he's missed the two raka, and he wants to pray Dhuhr. This is only going to be valid if it's in the time of Salatul Dhuhr. Uh, Sheikh Abdul Salam al he mentions a point and he asked, he mentions the point which is that what else can the uh, masbuk the one that is missed prayer with uh, the imam do with regards to Jummah? what else can he do in the sense of apart from changing his intention to salat al-dhuhr what else can he do and in fact this is something that he must do question to yourselves is there something else that the musalli the masbuk can do rather than changing his intention to salat al-dhuhr is there something else he can do pertaining to his Jummah prayer? There's something else that he must do. Question to yourselves. If he's able to do it. barakallah So what Shaykh al-Salam is saying, Shawir, he's saying before the person goes ahead and plays Salat al dhuhr instead of al Jummah because he missed Jummah, right? He's in the situation, he's missed Salat al juma with the Imam. He's only caught a little bit of the salah. He didn't catch a whole raqa at least with the Imam. So he's not able to pray now Salatul Jummah. His situation is that he's going to pray Salatul Dhuhr with the conditions that I mentioned. Shaykh Salam Shuaib said before he does that, he has to ensure in of himself that there's no other masjid nearby where the khutbah or the salah is still taking place that he can get to. So for example, many of us who live in Qatar, we can hear that once our uh, Imam has finished the salah, the other Imam down the road is still giving the khutbah. So in that situation, Abdul Salam al-Shawair, Allah is saying that the person has to leave that Salah and then go and join the Jummah which is still hasn't taken place or still hasn't finished and he's able to catch a raqa or more in that Masjid. That's what's obligatory upon the person rather than going to pray it as, or complete it as al Dhuhr. But of course, if the person is in a situation like in the West with a Masajid are miles away from each other and there's no way he can get to another Jummah then he would do what we described in these details that he goes ahead and he continues the salah as Salatul Dhuhr and Allah Subh'anaHu Wa ta'ala knows best. Taib Shabaab, the author now, he's going to mention the fourth condition for the validity of Salatul Jum'ah and he's going to mention that that is that the Khutbah has to be there, the two Khutbah. This is the fourth condition for Salatul Jum'ah to be valid. But before we, I discuss this fourth condition which is pertaining to the Khutbah itself, okay? Sheikh Mutaq al Hafiz Allah Taala, he said that there's ten issues or conditions pertaining to the khutbah, and these are important to mention. Okay, our imam is going to mention. I believe he mentions five, but Sheikh uh, Murtalq Jasser he says that the hambli scholars in general they mention ten conditions pertaining to the validity of the khutbah. So I'll mention these first before we go and discuss what the, our author has mentioned step by step. So. Shaykh Muttlaq Taala. he said that these 10 conditions and they must be in each of the khutbahs. In the first part of the khutbah and the second part of the khutbah. From them is Dukhul al-Waqt, that the khutbah has to be in the time of al Jummah, obviously. The second of them, he says Jawazul Imamati khatibi fiha That it has to be that the khatib is valid as being a khatib. So if you remember in the previous lesson that we took I gave you a scenario where you may have a scholar that is traveling to a particular land, and though he, he's a traveler, so it's not valid for him now to be the Imam, and it's not valid for him to be the Khatib. So the Khatib has to be from those who al Jummah is obligatory upon him, okay? Therefore, he can be the Imam. So he can't be a traveler, he can't, obviously, he can't be a woman that is well known, and it can't be a slave either. Ta'ib, the third condition is that there has to be Alhamdulillah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah has to be praised in both of the khutbas. The fourth of them is that there has to be salat ala Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa in both of them. And the fifth of them that there has to be qira- qira'atu ayah. There has to be one ayah at least which is recited in both of the khutbah, in each of the khutbah. The sixth of these conditions is that there has to be bi taqwa Allah Ta'ala. That there has to be an admonition to have taqwa of Allah in both of the khutbahs, okay. So now this was taqwa Allah as the wajal, the admonition for the people to have taqwa of Allah, Azzawajal, it doesn't have to literally mention the word it or anything of that nature. It doesn't have to have the word uh, taqwa mentioned in it, but rather the meaning of fearing up for Allah as wajal and being aware of Allah Wa ta'ala and submitting to Him has to be there in the admonition. Okay? So it could be any a phrase that alludes to the meaning of obeying Allah Wa ta'ala. The seventh of these conditions is hudur al-adl al Mushtarat, is that there has to be 40 people there in both parts of the khutbah. So if any part of the khutbah less than 40 people, then the khutbah becomes invalid. The eighth condition is al-jahru bi to yusmā al-adl Adad min al-hādirīn. Al-jahru bi to yusmā Adadan min al-jah min al-hādirīn that um, the sheikh here is saying, that the khutbah has to be loud enough for at least a group of the people that are present to have heard. So if the person doesn't have the microphone and he has a very soft w- voice, he's whispering and nobody can hear him, then the khutbah is going to be invalid because the maqsud, the objective of the, of the khutbah is to give an admonition and if nobody is able to hear the admonition, then it means the khutbah is not going to be valid. The ninth of them is that there has to be niyat al khutbah that the person has to intend that this admonition is khutbah. So the Ulama, they say, say for example, in some countries, okay, and it's not correct, uh, to my understanding, that people, they give like a small dars before the khutbah, right? They give like a lecture before they start the khutbah. And some of the uh, people that do this, it's very strange, they will give you a half an hour dars before the khutbah, and the khutbah will, itself will only last like two or three minutes. So they change their affairs and they make them upside down. So it could be that a person gives this dars and then he says okay I've given the admonition there's no need for a khutbah now uh, let's go ahead and just start the prayer so this would be invalid rather there has to be a niyatul khutbah that what you were giving as a dars you didn't have niyatul khutbah you didn't have the intention for khutbah so it's not going to be valid and also the last of these conditions that Shaykh uh, Mutlaq Jasser mentions is al muwalatu bayna al khutbah wa salah that there has to be continuity between the khutbah Both of them and in of themselves that khutbah one and khutbah two there has to be mualat, continuity, and also be between these two and the salah, there has to be continuity. Okay? Because these acts of worship they are connected and there has to be mualat, wherein that the break between them shouldn't be long. So if any of these conditions are not there, then the khutbah and will be invalid. The khutbah will be invalid. And also of course if the khutbah is invalid. Then the Salatul Jummah would also be invalid. The author he says, now going into the, explaining the condition, the fourth condition, Yustaratu Taqaddumu It's conditional for the Jummah to be valid, that the two khutbas precede the Salatul Jummah. Taqaddumu Khutbatain. And from the evidences of this, the clear evidence, as we know in Surah al ذِكْرِ you who believe if the call to the Jum'a salah is given, then fasaw then race to the dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they say that the dhikr is the khutbah. And the command to race towards the dhikr of Allah shows that it's an obligation and that it's a condition. Okay? shows that it's something that has to be there. And also in the hadith in Bukhari Muslim, we have the hadith of uh, Ibn Umar anhu, who said كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يَخْطُبُوا خُطْبَتَيْن ثُمَّ يَقْعَدُوا بَيْنَهُمَا, يقعدوا بينهما. That the Prophet used to give two khutbah and he would sit uh, between them. So this was something which was always done. There's مواذبة of the Prophet sallam and in general, when this muwaddaah, when this continuation of the Prophet وسلم, upon upon an action, then this shows that it's something which is uh, an obligation. It shows that it's an obligation because the Prophet وسلم, never left it. And Sheikh Abdul Salam he mentions an interesting point. He says mudaria, that the present continuous tense in um, in uh, the Arabic language. So in the Hadith. كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يَخْطُبُ يَخْطُبُ is Fi'l-Mudhariya is present continuous that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم used to give khutbah, right? إِذَا دَخَلَتْ عَلَيْهِ كَانَ so if Kana precedes this Fi'l-Mudhariya the word Kana uh, فَإِنَّهُ يَدُلُّ عَلَى الْدَيْمُمَةِ then this uh, alludes to the fact that this is something which is always done that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم would always do so, in this hadith is there, upon the fi'l mudariya, yakhtub, which shows that the Prophet Sallallahu would always give the khutbah on Salatul Jummah, which then indicates that it's something which shouldn't be left off, it's something which is conditional. The author, he says, صحتيهما, and from the conditions of the validity of the Salatul Jummah, he's going to mention five now, though we mentioned ten, uh, as extra information, he's going to mention five, and Uthaymeen, he mentions that the min here, وَمِنْ سِحَتِهِمَا The min, the from in the Arabic language is uh, تَبْعِيد It has the meaning of tab'id which means that there's more than this Okay, it indicates that there's more than this which is exactly what we mentioned. We mentioned five more than what the author is going to mention. مِنْ سِحَتِهِمَا ta'ala From the conditions of the validity of the Jummah is that Allah Azawajal must be praised in both parts of the khutbah. Alhamdulillahi ta'ala wa salatu ala Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and there must be sending of salatations, sending of salawat upon Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa qira'atu ayatin and there must be an ayah that is recited in each of the khutbas walwasiyyatuhum bitaqwa Allah azza wa jal and there must be an admonition for the people to have taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so according to the mashhur opinion in the madhab these four They are can of the khutbah, they are pillars of the khutbah, okay? They have to be there for the khutbah to be valid. Regarding the Hamd, the praise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the ulama, they say that the Sunnah is to have it in the beginning of the khutbah. Okay, the Sunnah is to have the praise of Allah in the beginning of the khutbah. Regarding the point of an ayah being there in each of the khutbah, the ayah has to be what they say, mustaqil al-ma'na. Mustaqil al-ma'na, that the verse has to make sense in of itself okay, not like for example you might say mudhaamatan, matan. in of itself doesn't make any sense right, it's describing that which came before it, so the the verse has to be mustaqil al-ma'na that the verse in of itself has to be valid in terms of meaning and with regards to the taqwa of Allah as we mentioned in the khutbah that it's to be an admonition for the people to fear Allah and to worship Allah and there is no better maw'idah, no better admonition than advising people to fear Allah ittaqillah in the variety of different forms that it comes okay, to fear, have fear of Allah Subhanahu uh, wa Taala. Ibn Taymiyyah he said that the khutbah is valid even in the absence of these arkan even in the absence of these pillars according to Ibn Taymiyyah right, because he said that as long as there is admonition that you are admonishing the people telling them something which is beneficial, beneficial to their deen, connecting them to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and as long as the people understand that urfan, that customarily this is a khutbah, then that is what suffices. Okay. Uh, a point to add also is that the Hanbali scholars, they uh, insist or they say it's a condition that the, um, the khutbah has to be in Arabic. Okay, The khutbah has to be in Arabic, at least the four pillars that have been mentioned the Hamd of Allah the Salah upon the Prophet the admission, Admonition to have Taqwa, and the fourth of them also, okay, which was Qiraatul Ayah, to have uh, a verse recited. So all of these have to be in Arabic according to the Hanbali Scholars. Some of the contemporary Hanbali Scholars, the uh, scholars of our time, they say if the people don't understand the language, then they can give the Khutbah in any language. Uh, which they are able to understand. However, at least they should try to at least get these arkan, these pillars said in Arabic, which is not very difficult at all. And it's also permissible for a person to read the khutbah from a piece of paper. It doesn't have to always be done from memory. The author may Allah have mercy upon him. He says al-Adad al-Mustarat," And that there has to be 40 people that are there for both of the khutbahs. So as we said, if somebody left okay from one of the khutbahs then that would invalidate the khutbah which would then invalidate Salatul Jummah as a whole okay so there have to be 40 people there for both of the khutbahs but it's not a condition that tahara that purification from Haddat al or Akbar has to be there okay because they say that this is Dhikr that the khutbah is Dhikr and Dhikr is not uh, conditioned upon uh, having Tahara from Hadat al-Asqar or Hadat al-Akbar. Okay, this is the opinion of the Madhab. However, Ibn Qadam Ta'ala, he says that Tahara from Hadat al-Akbar has to be there. So anything which necessitates a ghusl, you have to make ghusl from that thing. Okay, the lifting of janabah. The reason he says this, he says that the ayah is a rukan, reciting an ayah from the Quran is a rukan of the khutbah and the junab the one in the state of Janaba is not allowed to recite the Qur'an. Therefore, you have to have Tahara from Hadith Al-Akbar and Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala knows best. That was according to Ibn Qudama. The author, he says, Wa man It's also not a condition for the validity of the Jummah, of the Khutbah, that whoever gave the Khutbah has to then lead the Salah. They can be two different people, okay? Because they are two separate acts of worship. It's like, for example, uh, if one uh, didn't attend the khutbah, right, not intentionally, he didn't attend the khutbah, but then his salah is still going to be valid. They say likewise for the khatib and the imama. They say that uh, the khatib doesn't have to lead the salah. Okay, they can be two different people. Okay, making qiyas upon the ma'moon who didn't attend the khutbah, however he attended the salah, his salah is still valid even though he missed the khutbah. So this is the qiyas that used that Uh, both that the one who does the khutbah and the salah doesn't have to be the same person. It's preferred however to be the same person but it doesn't have to be. And Sheikh Huthaymin he went even further and he said even the two parts of the khutbah it can be done by two separate people okay. Two people can if it happened to take place for whatever reason that two people can do each part separately if they wish to do so. Each person doing one part of the khutbah if they wish to do so. The author now he's going to speak about a few of the sunnah pertaining to the khutbah before we end. Inshallah, he says what min ala sunnah to make khutbah upon a minbar because in Bukhari Jabir radiyallahu anhu he said سمعنا للجدع مثل أصوات العشار حتى نزل النبي sallallahu فوضع يده عليه. Subhanallah, the Prophet sallallahu used to give khutbah upon uh, leaning against the the palm tree, okay, leaning against some type of uh, tree, and when the Prophet had a member made from him, he left the tree and he went to go and give khutbah upon the member. There was a clear uh, crying sound heard from the uh, from the tree until the Prophet went back to the tree to calm it down, and that's when it stopped crying. So, it's sunnah to give khutbah on a member, okay? And the member, as Sheikh Abd al mentioned, it doesn't have to be three steps. So it can be any type of member. عال, or upon a raised platform of some sort because the objective is that the people see you and that your voice travels, okay? وَيُسَلِّمُ عَلَى المعمومين إِذَا عَلَيْهِمْ And it's Sunnah that the person was given the khatib that when he yani, uh, gets upon the member, that he gives salam to the congregation okay, he gives salam to the congregation ثُمَّ يَجْلِسُ إِلَىٰ فَرَاغِ الْأَذَانِ and then he sits until the adhan is finished and he uses this time not only to repeat the words of the adhan but also to think about what he's going to say and to gather his thoughts and to collect himself so that he's prepared to give the khutbah بَيْنَ الْخُطْبَتَيْنِ and he sits between the two khutbahs okay, this is also a sunnah it's not obligatory, it's a sunnah Jabir ibn Sumrah he said as in Sahil Muslim الله الله قائمن, that the prophet وسلم, he would give the khutbah while standing ثم يجلسوا, ثم قائمن, and then he would sit down and then again he would stand and he would give the khutbah standing so, and then جابر said فمن نبهك أنه خطب Abdullah he said whoever told you that the prophet gave the khutbah sitting down then verily he has told you a lie. For verily by Allah I prayed with the Prophet more than a thousand times. And this is what the Prophet used to do. He used to give khutbah standing and then he would sit and then he would stand again. And uh, so that was the uh, evidence pertaining to that he should sit between the two khutbahs. And also it's an evidence for the second point, which is that the author says That the uh, Imam, he should give the khutbah standing up. Okay, so this is a sunnah that should be implemented. And also an evidence for it being a Sunnah, which is interesting, is that in the ayah ilayha wa That the munafiqin or the people weak of Iman, when they see uh, trade taking place or there is some kind of amusement lahun uh, They leave you and they leave you standing. Okay, so here the description given of the Prophet ﷺ is a description that he's left standing. Okay. And in the Arabic, uh, in the rules of fiqh, it's understood that this is an action. Okay, the description of the Prophet standing is a fi'l. And the fi'l, there's no wujub for a fi'l. There's no obligation for the the action in of itself being just because it's an action. So the ulama, they say just because it's an action, it doesn't allude to that it's obligatory. So it's taken as being something which is mustahab. So in the verse, the Prophet was described as standing and his description is an action and an action in of itself in the rules of fiqh doesn't allude to something being as um, an obligation. So rather it's taken as something which is mustahab, something which is sunnah and recommended. طيب. And uh, another rewire in the madhab of Imam Ahmad is that the qiyam hal al khutbah is wajib, that standing in the khutbah is something which is wajib, but this is not the majority opinion amongst the Hanbali scholars. The author he says, أَوْ أَوْ the person he stands and leans upon a sword or he leans upon a, a bow okay, which is used in archery, or he leans upon a stick. okay. Sheikh al-Salam he mentions a very interesting point. He says He says the reality or the correct understanding of this Mas'ala is as follows. He says that the choice here of these three things to stand upon, to lean upon a sword or a bow or upon a stick is not Tashahi. It's not that you have the choice of, I can choose one of these three things. He says rather, wa مَنْهُوَ hal. Rather, it's a choice of situation. So for example, the people of Jihad, when the time was in Jihad, they would be using swords, They would their situation would be, this, their had would be that they would have swords with them, so they would lean upon the sword. So it's not that today now khutbah, somebody comes along with the sword and leans on the sword, this wouldn't be right. Rather, in today's situation, what would be normal is for a person to lean upon a stick, and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala knows best. And then the Sheikh of the Salam he said, "If the person doesn't have something to lean upon like a stick, then he puts both of his hands by his side, or he uh, grabs the hands as follows." Okay. He grabs the right and the left as follows. Like the person when he's in salah, his two hands are together like that. That's how the person would have his hands whilst giving the khutbah, if not at his sides, if he doesn't have something to lean on. And also from the sunnan of the khutbah is that the person, the khatib, he looks in front of him. He doesn't look to the left and the right because looking to the left and the right, halul khutbah during the khutbah is something which is makru in the madhab. And in fact it's makru according to the majority, apart from the Hanafi scholars, may Allah have mercy upon them. And also from the Sunnah of the Khutbah, Wayyukasiru al-Khutbah. Okay? Al-khutbah, to make the khutbah short, the Prophet ﷺ in Sahih Muslim from the hadith of Amir ibn Yasir, he said, uh, the Prophet ﷺ said, um, Inna salat al wa waqisar khutba ma ma'in ala fiqhihi. Fa'atilu salah wa الْخُطْبَةِ khutbah. Okay? Fa'atilu salah wa axil khutbah wa inna al bayan sihr. Yasir, Ammar ibn Yasir, he narrates this hadith in Sahih Muslim that the Prophet ﷺ said that when a person lengthens his prayer, the Jummah prayer, and he shortens the khutbah, but shortening in a, in a way which is valid, not leaving anything which is important out and being comprehensive enough and he shortens his khutbah then this is a sign of one's understanding Min ma that this is a sign of one's fiqh that he has an understanding of the objectives of the sharia okay uh, so the Prophet ﷺ said extend the salah and shorten the khutbah and he said verily from speech there is magic some people they have magic in their speech and the ulama they explained that one of the reasons for the khutbah to be short in fact is that of course if the khutbah is too long like this lesson is getting quite long now if the khutbah is too long then people they're going to lose concentration number one number two they won't be able to retain the benefits of what was being said okay they won't be able to retain the benefits of what was being said and that loses an objective the author says and from the sunnan and from the sunnan is that the imam he makes a beneficial dua not for himself but rather from the Muslims in general and it's permissible also to make du'a for any individual Muslim if there is a benefit in doing that, okay? And also uh, why the Imam should make um, du'a upon the member for the Muslims is because this could be a time of istijabah. This could be a time where the du'a is going to be answered and it's something which is highly recommended to do. And the hadith which is authenticated by Shaykh al-Albani he said that the Prophet ﷺ said, that whoever seeks forgiveness for the believing men and women, then Allah subhanahu gives for that person, uh, with each believing man and woman a hasana. So you can imagine that when you say Allah lil Muslimina wal Muslimat, that Allah forgive the believing uh, men and women, the Muslims, men and women, the ones that are alive and the ones that have passed away then for each person we are making du'a for that we get a hasanah, we get a deed so that leads into the billions and millions so it's something which should be done du'a in time of khutbah is something which is imperative and the du'a should be that type of du'a wherein matters which are important to the Muslim Ummah are mentioned so sadly many people when they make du'a they don't make du'a about those who are unjustly imprisoned in the prisons they don't make du'a for those that are unjustly being tortured and you know, humiliated in lands like China, you hardly hear uh, many khatib doing this, and this is something which is really sad to the heart. Taib, question to yourselves: Should the imam raise his hands when making du'a on the member? Salatul Juma. Question to yourselves: Should the imam raise his hands when making du'a? fik ahsanta. It's not to be done because it's not from the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu wasallam, as in the hadith in Sahih Muslim, Amara ibn Raibah. He saw Bishr ibn, uh, uh, so, um, uh, uh, ibn, uh, ibn Marwan upon the member making du'a so Amara radiyallahu anhu said al qad rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam ma yazidu wa al Amara ibn Wa'iba he saw Bishr ibn Marwan upon the member making du'a and in the hadith of uh, Ahmad, he said that this was in the Jummah, making dua, right? raising his hands. So Amara, he said, may Allah Azawajal make these hands ugly, and uh, uh, something to that effect. Make these hands ugly because I saw the Prophet وسلم, and he wouldn't do more when making dua than raising his finger like such when making dua on the member. And also the followers, they shouldn't raise their hands either because the followers are supposed to follow what the Imam is doing. Okay, so the followers also, the ones who are listening, when they make dua, they should only be saying Amin silently and they shouldn't be raising their hands either. However, if we're in a place where people are so accustomed to doing this, we shouldn't make a big issue out of it. Rather, we should try to teach the people once we develop relationships with them and uh, try to spread the Sunnah as best as we can. Allah Subh'anaHu wa Ta-A'la knows best. That which was correct and clear was from Allah Azza wa Jal. Any mistakes and confusion, shortcomings, myself and Shaitan. I ask Allah to forgive me. I ask Allah to reward us immensely for the short effort that we have made. I ask Allah to make us from those who understand and act upon what we understood and to teach to others what we understood. Ameen. If you have any questions on the topic, then feel free, inshallah. Wajazakumullah khair for your patience.